<laughs> Friends, would you open up to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, and we're going to start our reading this morning at verse uh, 7. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the page is uh, 765. I, I have a, a love-hate relationship sometimes with uh, sermon preparation. Um, I have a firm belief that sermon preparation is not done solely for you. Sermon preparation is also done to me. And if the sermon isn't first preached to my heart, it is going to have little impact to your heart. So this week, as I, I was walking through um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 through chapter 4, verse 6, uh, I, I do a, a wide variety of different readings and uh, web searches of, of, of the theme that I'm seeing pop out. And this, this week, I, I read about uh, a, a research paper that was written. The researchers of the Harvard Gra Graduate School of Education asked 10,000 middle school and high school students the following question, and listen to it. And then see if you can kind of come up with what you think was the, the, their answer. What is most important to you? Achieving at a high level. Happiness, which is defined in part as feeling good most of the time. Or caring for others. Achieving at a high level. Happiness, feeling good most of the time. Or caring for others. 10,000 junior high and high school students were asked this. What do you think A, B, or C was the highest? 48% of students selected high achievement as their top priority. High achievement. 30% chose happiness, and only 22% placed caring for others at the top of their list. <laughs> the researchers said, it gives you a hint into our culture as a whole, right? It's not just the junior high or the middle school or um, the high school students. It, it's our whole culture that has kind of this problem. Uh, the apple tree, the apples don't far, fall far from the tree. It has to come from somewhere. So the researcher said, some youth made it quite clear to us that their self-interest is paramount. Saying, if you're not happy, life is nothing. After all, you want to do well. And after that, expend any excess energy on others. If you got anything else, give it to others. Their research report was appropriately titled this. The children we mean to raise, the real messages adults are sending about values. What adults are sending about values. And the first line of their, what they call an executive summary, which kind of in the research paper, kind of, if you just want to do the cheat sheet, you read the executive summary. The first line said this, our youth's values appear to be awry. And the messages that adults are sending may be at the heart of the problem. 
So who really is the problem here? Is it our junior high or high school students? Absolutely not. The problem is the messages that the adults, our culture, is sending out and impressing upon their hearts. So we do have a problem. We believe that the goal of life is to feel good. And we think that the way to do that is through high achievement and having happiness. That is how we find significance in life, is through achievement and happiness. We live according to what one person calls the morality of self-improvement. David Kinnaman, in his book, Good Faith, writes this. The morality of self-fulfillment is everywhere, like the air we breathe. Much of the time, we don't even notice we're constantly bombarded with messages that reinforce self-fulfillment in music, movies, video games, apps, commercials, TV shows, and every other kind of media. This view, my friends, of self-fulfillment, the morality of self-fulfillment, even affects our church, the local church. And yet the results are terribly devastating. The more that we pursue self-fulfillment, the more unsatisfied we become. Anxiety has overtaken depression as the most common reason students are seeking counseling. Anxiety. I'm anxious I'm on pins and needles about how I feel about things. And anxiety is, can even define our age. We live in an anxious age, we, but we need to have a better way. And that's what this passage is going to help us with this morning. And here's our problem. Unless you and I are careful, we're going to build our lives on what we perceive to be impressive The accumulation, we're going to build our lives on the accumulation of things or following other people who are impressive. And in trying to be, we might even find ourselves desiring to be a part of an impressive church. Man, if we could just have this, do this, our building have this, if we could have these kind of resources, if we could have this kind of preacher, if we could have these kind of ministry leaders, if we could have this kind of worship ministry, if we could have this, if we could have... We build on what we feel is impressive. And we're not wrong, my friends, to be drawn to what is impressive. In fact, the reason for that is we are hardwired for glory. We are hardwired. Paul Tripp in his book, um, or in a, a, a web post, said this, it really is the struggle of struggles. It is what we are made for. It is what we crave, and it is what we manage to mess up in some way almost Every day. So it is really the struggle of struggles. What is the struggle of struggles? Our longing for glory. Our longing for what is impressive. It is really our struggle. And it's we are made, we are wired to be people who long for impressiveness, for glory. 
the struggle, what's the struggle? The struggle is for glory. Human beings, you and I, are glory junkies. We're addicted. Every one of us is addicted to pursuing, to basking in our own glory or things that are really subglorious. At some point or another, in my marriage, in my ministry, or just in the mundane interactions of everyday life, I have bought into the lie that I am somehow glorious. Have you? Be honest. In your, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your thought life, have you bought into the idea that I am really a good deal? I am really sharp. I really know more than you. You should really listen to me. And in doing so, maybe it's time for you to start bending the knee and worshiping me. And if it is not you, maybe it is the political system that you are following. Maybe it is the, the ideal of our world, our, your lifestyle that you are saying, that is really it. And I need to bow my knee to this lifestyle, this financial system, this political system. I need to bow the knee and follow that because somehow it feels, it senses to me that it is absolutely glorious. Our whole lives are driven by glory. We are on a continual search for impressive things. Here's, here's just, a, and we're stimulated by things, aren't we? None of us like apps that are black and white, do we? But we are looking for beautiful pictures that might allure me, draw me into something beautiful powerful, and maybe glorious. Part of it is it's a good thing. God has wired us to long for, to pursue glory. The problem is that we look for it in all the wrong places. We we think uh, the whole point of life is that we are impressive. We are drawn to glory and we begin to think that we individually or we even as a church, need to be glorious. But what, so what's the alternative, Paul? What, what's the other option? And that's what this passage is going to teach us. We're in a series where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and one of the criticisms about Paul's ministry is that he was not impressive at all. He was lacking glory he was lacking impressiveness but there were other people in the local church who really were all that in a bag of chips they were quite impressive and paul was okay with that and in this passage that we are going to read he gives us two important lessons that will help us as individuals and it'll help us as a church understanding glory and what should be impressive so my friends, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, would you stand for the reading of God's word? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 7 and reading through chapter 4, verse 6. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, so that is what? What is he referring to? The Ten Commandments, right? Uh, be 
came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the law, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed its glory, it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what has, what's being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the Ten Commandments of the Law is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So let's unpack this. Paul is going to give us a, a couple things in here that is going to help us understand um, how we respond to glory. And here's the first thing that I see in verses 7 uh, through verse 18. And the first one is this. Throw it up, Kev. Glor glory isn't found in impressive people or in things, but in Jesus. Glory is not found in impressive things or even found in people, but glory is ultimately found in Jesus. So 
Paul gives us two pictures to look at here. He gives us two different people. One, he gives us a picture of Moses. And in all of the Jewish history, few people really measure up to Moses. He was kind of a prototype, one to look up to. He was a model. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. He led the children of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land. Well, actually, to the edge of the promised land. He was so close to, to God that the Bible says... Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What a, what a relationship that is. Where it's as if God was speaking to him face to face. We read in, in Exodus, and when he came out and told the pe- people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face was shining. It was radiant. And Moses would put a veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. If anyone was impressive, it was Moses. He literally, after interacting with God, would be glowing with the glory of God. He was so close to God that the people of God were terrified of Moses after he spent time with them. He was literally, physically, visually different. There was something about that. None of us in this room have ever had that kind of visual thing take place. Even if you have had a whole day of prayer and fasting, uh, you've been on a spiritual retreat, none of you have ever come back from that glowing, emanating from the glory of Christ. He was so close that the people were terrified. It even said that Aaron and all the people of Israel, when they saw Moses and beheld the skin of his face shone, they were afraid to come near him. And I get that. This man is glowing, either extraterrestrial or he's been in the very presence of God. So that's one picture of, that is, is given. But there's another picture of another person who uh, Paul has given, and he uses his own example. We read that when Paul came to Corinth for the first time, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not found in plausible words of wisdom. So Paul is saying, there's nothing about me. You, you, I, I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. I came to you even in much trembling. And my speech and my messages, they were not really plausible words of wisdom. So what would you call this guy to be a pastor of your church? Hey, I'm going to come to you. My messages might not make much sense. I'm really scared. I sweat through every day. And I come trembling in the pulpit. And so Paul is saying, listen, that's who I am. That's how I came to you. And he even said, I had to support myself financially through manual labor. He's, he even was a guy who spent a lot of time in jail. And, We're attracted to people who are impressive, and Paul did not measure up to that standard. And yet, Paul was okay with it. He said this in 2 Corinthians 
uh, in verses 12 and 13. And since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. Paul's, Paul was bold in his unimpressiveness, and he gave two reasons why. He could be bold in his unimpressiveness, in his unmosesness. And the first reason that he gave is because Moses may have had a, a glowing face, a glowing countenance about him, but ultimately, glowing faces lose their shine. Moses did not walk around the camp of Israel always with, with the veil on his face. After a while, that, that glow that he had from being in God's presence, after a while, what happened to it? It faded. It went away. And we know one of the reasons why Moses wore a veil. Because the people were terrified of him if he didn't. And Paul tells us another reason. He put it over his face so that Israel wouldn't gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Moses covered his face so that they wouldn't, over time, see the, the fading of glory. And this is true on a couple different levels. And we're going to see it in, in, as we're going to see in a mo minute, the glory of the gospel far outshines the glory of the law. But it's also true on a very personal level. Moses' glory was also temporary as well. His glory was temporary. First Peter tells us this. All flesh is like what? Do you know? Like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the Word of God remains forever. So it talks about how we are like grass. And we are like the flowers of the grass. After a while, they dry up. They fade. They lose their glory. They're not impressive anymore. But the Word of God is eternal. It's true. It never fades. One day, everything that impresses you about someone else, my friends, will be gone. One day, what impresses you about your best friend is going to fade away. And it's not going to be as glorious. One day, the thing that impressed you the most about the one that you love most dearest, my friends, it will too fade. <coughs> Back in 2017, there was a, a website, there is a website called 24-7 Wall Street. 24-7 Wall Street. And it ran their list of what was called the 50 least powerful people in the world. I did not find myself on the list, so I'm doing all right, right? But the 2017 list included an intro that could have really sounded like the beginning of a, uh, a sermon. It said this, fame, fortune, and power in all its forms are glorified in the American culture. Entire media networks are dedicated to covering celebrity news and gossip and television programs that showcase the lifestyles of the rich and famous. 
and the famous regularly draw millions of viewers. And then it says, however, power can be fleeting. Circumstances can change rapidly. Fortunes can be lost overnight. And the masters of the universe today can wind up being unemployable tomorrow. 24-7 Wall Street compiled the list of 50 well-known individuals around the world who have recently experienced a precipitous loss of stature. The 2017 list included the White House Communications Director, who was fired two weeks after his employment, a co-owner of a national chain who stepped down after an E. coli outbreak. Do you know what chain that would be? Chipotle. Uh, And a president of a country who was impeached, South Korea. Power. There was power in those places. There's wealth in those places. And so even if you become quite impressive, my friends, it will not last. You can build yourself an empire, but ultimately it is going to fade away. It's like building a house out of snow in Chicago. It might be beautiful for a short little time, but you know what? Heat is going to come, and after a while, it's just going to be a puddle. There's absolutely nothing impressive. Spring is coming, and eventually the building that you have built is going to be destroyed. So that's one thing. Ultimately, those those things are going to lose their shine. But secondly, the second problem about being impressive is this. Impressiveness leaves a lot of us out, doesn't it? Good for Moses that his face was shining. But what about the rest of the camp of Israel? The rest of Israel did not benefit. In fact, Paul says in verses 14 to 16 that ultimately even Moses' shining face resulted in their hearts being hardened. My friends, don't look for impressive leaders. Don't look for impressive churches. Even If you find them, even if you find an impressive leader or an impressive church, the reality is you still won't be impressive yourself. It really won't help you. So what is the alternative? What does Scripture say? Well, look at verses 16 to 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And this, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, there is something happening. There's only one place for us to find glory. The glory that we're all searching for. We are hungry for glory. We want to see it. We want to behold it. But there's only one true place for us to find glory. And it is available to everyone. And if you get this glory, if you receive this glory, it is going to change you. It is going to transform you from the inside out out 
Your, your face will shine. Your countenance will shine. You'll be tr- transformed. And that glory, my friends, will never be taken away. It will not be like the grass. It will not be like the flowers of the grass that are going to fade, that could burn. It ultimately will remain. And where do we get that glory? We get that glory by beholding, lavishing glory, enjoying, savoring the glory of the Lord. The weakest, listen to this, the weakest Christian who looks to Jesus, the weakest Christian who looks to Jesus is more glorious than the most impressive person who doesn't. There is something beautiful and powerful about weakness and beholding Christ. The weakest of you who beholds the glory of Jesus Christ, who savors Him and receives Him, there's, you are far more glorious and impressive than the most impressive wor- person, in the, the most powerful person in the world who does not. Behold the glory of the Lord. That's where the glory you're looking for is found. So my friends, do not waste your time in trying to be glorious. Don't waste your time trying to make our church, hear this, do not waste your time in trying to make our church impressive. The best thing that we can do is find the glory that we're looking for in Jesus. That is who is truly glorious. And if we do that, it will change our individual, marital, relational, and our corporate life forever. So what do we do? This is the second major point. The, you know, the, the first one was... Glory isn't found in impressive people. It's, glory isn't found in things. It's found in Jesus. So he comes to the point in, in chapter 4 of saying, so, so what do we do? We are, we are called to now live in the reality of that. Live in the, the light of the reality that Jesus is absolutely glorious. That Jesus is absolutely powerful. That Jesus is the most impressive thing. So let me ask you a question. And maybe this is a... A, a, a good question for your missional community. So I, I'm going to write this down. Maybe this is a good uh, question for your uh, ride home to, to discuss. If you really believed that glory isn't found in impressive people or things, but in Jesus, how would you live? If you really believed that glory isn't found in impressive people or in things, but in Jesus, how would you live? If you really believed that. And that's a question that we all have to constantly, daily, moment by moment be asking. Do I really believe that this is impressive and life-altering? Or is it really Jesus? And if it's really Jesus, how am I going to live in this situation? How am I going to live in the reality that Jesus truly is all that I need? So Paul tells us in, in the rest of the passage. So I, I just want I, I kind of want to make a, a quick list for you. 
Verse 1. We don't need to get discouraged. Paul says that he doesn't lose heart. He doesn't lose heart. He, and how could that be? Well, it's because he is so gripped by the glory, God's glory, that problems of this life cannot bring him down. It's even in my weaknesses that I'm not going to lose hope. I am not going to be discouraged in this moment because God is far more glorious than whatever that perfect outcome was going to be. Jesus is far more beautiful. He's far more powerful. All right, let's roll with the punches here because you know what? There's no need for me to get discouraged. It's no, and if I am really going to be discouraged in that thing and I'm going to let that bring, down, bring me down emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, maybe the problem is, is that thing that is, I'm so discouraged about, maybe that thing, that person, that experience is really my God. Paul says, don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Here's another thing. In in chapter uh, 4, verse 2. Living in light that, that Jesus is far more glorious than anything else, we do not need to resort to gimmicks. He he renounces all the tricks, all the whatever the hucksters of the day were trying to to do to make themselves look glorious, he he doesn't need to use them. Why? Because he trusts in the power of God. You don't need to rely on cheap tricks when you actually have the living Word of God. You don't need to rely on anything else because God's Word is more powerful than anything that is available to us in this world. That's why we as individuals, we as friends, we as a church need to rely on the Word of God. God uses His Word to do work. Work that just fills our mind with information that never reaches our heart, that never ultimately works itself out into our fingertips and our lives and our workplaces and our marriage. Something's wrong there. If you're looking for a quick, quick help kind of thing, you're missing it. Are you trusting in the God that is found in the Bible? Are you trusting in His Word And are you relying on His Word to transform your heart and your mind? He gives another idea in verses 3 and 4. We can maintain perspective when people reject the Bible. My friends, those of you who are going through the gospel fluency, you've got to remember this as well. Some people will reject the gospel. But Paul knows the problem isn't him, his impressiveness or unimpressiveness, and he knows that the problem is not with the gospel because the gospel is the very power of God unto salvation for those who believe. The problem is the spiritual condition of the listeners. And this allows Paul to keep going with confidence in the gospel. And then lastly, Paul 
points out in, in verse 5. That we can, make, we can make Jesus greater than trying to make ourselves great. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. What are we proclaiming? But Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as servants. Any church that builds a platform for a pastor must remember that that pastor can easily be knocked off a platform. The most critical thing to the life of a church is not a pastor, my friends. If you think I am the end game for this church, you are greatly mistaken. The thing that I must be constantly proclaiming is not me, my gifts, my talents, my passion, my vision. The greatest thing that you need to be looking for is not a great orator who is good-looking, well-dressed, slick and savvy. The greatest thing that we need to be looking for is Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not about how great a church is. It's not about how great we are. It is about, my friends, how great Jesus is. He is who we give our lives to. He is who we trust with all of who we are. We trust in Jesus and He must be the focus, the primary, the protos, the thing, the one that we proclaim. Any ministry, any church that puts man at the center is going to fall and it is going to lose its glory. So my friends, we must make Jesus our focus. He has to be it for us. Because we're, we're pursued for, we're created to pursue glory. And when we go wrong, we go wrong when we make ourselves glorious. We go wrong when we try to be impressive. We go wrong when we try to make our church glorious. Or try to make our church impressive. But when we see the glory of Jesus Christ as He is presented in the Gospel, my friends, it gives us everything that our hearts are longing for. It satisfies our soul and it gives us actually something real to offer the world. When Jesus is glorious and we truly believe it and we live in the implications in the light of that, we actually have something to offer that will not ever fade. And my friends, that is good news. And that is powerful. So remember, glory isn't found in impressive people. Its glory is not found in the things that you are accumulating or the things that you love, but it is found in Jesus Christ. So my friends, live in light of that reality. All God's people said, amen. just so you know, that word amen means let it be.
may it be true for your soul and your life. Let us pray.